one of our mottos is that we want to help those who help others. And that goes beyond just saying it. We want to practice it. We want to do it. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Scaling a business is one of the largest challenges faced by executives today. How do you cross the normal revenue hurdles as well as ensure that process and org structure can scale and not restrict growth or creativity or innovation? The question is always how, and while we could talk more theory, I thought it was time to talk to somebody who successfully scaled the business from zero to over a thousand clients in a little bit more than 12 months. Today, we're joined by Jonathan Grisbowski, CMO and co-founder of Penji, an on-demand graphic design service and a fellow Jersey boy. Jonathan, thank you for taking the time and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's, it was awesome when I saw Camden, New Jersey. I grew up in Hackettstown. Uh, okay. And so very much, uh, I'm now in Denver and I don't fit in here because I got too much. <laughs> I got too much jersey. Because so you have too great. much sass. Too much sass. Yes, sass. Yeah. Among other things, depending on who you ask. Yeah. But yes, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely. Uh, it was definitely good to see that. But we start every uh, conversation with something to help our audience get to know you as an individual a little bit more. And for some reason, I've been stuck on this concept of what hobby or passion you have outside of work that those that only know you in a work environment might be a little bit surprised to learn about. Yeah. I'll kind of rattle them off and we can kind of dive in if you, if you so choose. Uh, number one, I love working out, but I feel like that's pretty obvious. I think that's just the, the way to cure any type of headache or stress that you have going on. I'm a huge Sixers fan. Uh, they're currently in the playoffs. I don't know when this is going to launch, but I hope by the time it does that we beat the Raptors. Uh, <laughs> and then by then we then beat Milwaukee or Boston and we're on our way to the, the NBA finals. So that's there. Uh, I'm also a huge WWE fan. Oh, I love it. Yeah. But like everybody's like, Oh yeah, I used to watch it too. Stone cold. Like, no, I watch it right now. I watched <laughs> it yesterday in the background while I'm doing work and sending emails and stuff. Uh, and I also like a huge fan of wine. Um, All right. really, really love, you said you're a Jack guy. Yep. I would say that I, I'm, I, I don't mind those spirits. Uh, but I definitely am obsessed with natural wine. Like just, the sheer production of quality grape not being touched for hundreds, potentially hundreds of years, that that really excites me and I want to try it. So, yeah. That is an amazing uh, combination that I have not yeah. heard before. From WWE <laughs> to complex wine. I, you know, I could get into wine. I'll just be honest. It's wasted on my palate. I, I, like I burned yeah. it all out with all the Jack or, or whatever it was, but I, I can see that. Yeah. It just, it just, um, I can appreciate it. It just doesn't rock my world, but I do, I do have a great deal of respect for the process. You talked about quality, the process that goes into it, the care, the craftsmanship. Yeah. Um, I think that should be recognized. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I just don't have what it takes to truly appreciate the full experience of it. But thank you yeah. for sharing that. If stuff you if me. you come back, anybody listening right now, if you if you do come to Philly, at least in the Philadelphia region, there's a uh, some bourbon by New Liberty Distillery that's pretty amazing. It's all it's by Kinsey, which is like a really old timey brand that was like 
in the early 1900s and they reproduced the the 19th century like uh recipe um with scientists like they had to they found like an old school bottle and they kind of just like scientifically put it all together (laughs) and it is amazing bottle of, of, of whiskey. So definitely uh, check it out. I have written that down. That shall happen because I am in, I am in Philadelphia a lot. So I will there you go. write that down. Excellent. All right. So let's talk, uh, let's talk about the business first. And so for those listeners that, that don't know it, help them understand what Penji is. And more importantly, the journey to getting to founding the company, because none of us, a few of us that I've run across when we were little playing, you know, playing with our toys or whatever said, Hey, when I grow up, I want to run this type of company or for me, Hey, I want to be in sales and marketing. So help us understand the journey and what Penji is all about. Well, in eighth grade, I didn't want to, what eighth grade I wrote in my uh, yearbook, I wrote that I wanted to be a video game designer. And so I've come a long way. Um, <laughs> there was a point in time where I, I just want to say in my early twenties, I was just really sad, depressed, and I couldn't quite figure out why I started businesses prior to like lawn mowing businesses and stuff like that. And, and I made really good money and I just loved the, the freedom. I loved the creativity that I was able to possess. And then I kind of craved that. I was like, you know, I can, I could do what I wish. I, 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 I have my own destiny in my hands and, and I, I worked for Apple for some time and, and I just craved that. And I, and I wanted to be able to find a way to help other people because it's fun to help other people, especially when you're good at what you do. And so I ended up quitting my job and, and I, I created a couple of marketing companies and they're all pretty, pretty fail, big failures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just going to be honest. And then I, I started like another, an agency where we were a little, you know, rocking and rolling here. We made some pretty good money. We, we had about like 10 employees or so, but when we were losing clients, we would, they would say something like, Hey, we love what you do. You're an amazing, you may not be able to produce the results, but we love your graphic design. So that was like a, a, a break, a, a light bulb moment. We were like, Hmm, you know what, if people love that, portion of it. Let's see, like, let's explore that a little bit further. Penji was actually created by an accident where we were testing out a service within, within a very select group of people. We ended up interviewing close to 250 people where we asked a question like, Hey, this is where we're thinking about doing. We don't necessarily know if this is how we want to go. We, we worked with nonprofits. We worked with in our community of Camden. We worked with friends and stuff like that. And the, the results came back extremely positive. And they all kind of said like, yeah, we'd buy it. And so that's when we were like, all right, well, we have to do this now because the data isn't lying to us. And so fast forward now, we're, we're close to 50 people and we have over a thousand clients that are working with us on a routine basis. And it's just a life-changing moment in my life that I'll never forget. And I'm just really excited to be able to share the story and, and how we were able to get there because it's not the cutest story in the world. It's not the sexiest thing that you're about to hear, but I think it's just a story of grit and, and determination. So happy to, to answer any specific question that you have. Dive in as deep as you want, my friend. Well, yeah. So let's, all right. So let's talk scale. So we have this happy accident. We find the data. We find out that there's potentially a, a business here. So how do you go, you know, I, I, and I've done this too. So I'm curious, I'm really excited to hear your perspective, but you go from an idea. So there's, there's actually probably not even a visual representation of a brand or, or the, 
spatial understanding of what that brand is going to be, what that offering is going to be. So you've got nothing but this happy accident, like, Hey, holy mm-hmm. shit, there may be something here. So how, mm-hmm. what was that journey like from there to build a brand, to build the business, figure out the go to market and get those first hundred clients? Yeah, there was no, I mean, there was a name, but there wasn't like a brand guideline as to what it is today. It was just like, Hey, let's just throw as much crap at the fan as we can and let's see what works. <laughs> and I'm just being real. Like when we yeah. first started Penji, we were unlimited graphic design and unlimited development, which I'm sure people that are listening to like, Oh man, that sounds awesome. Like, yeah, I'm sure it does. But like, it's really hard to, to specialize. And that's kind of like what we wanted to do is we wanted to be really good at that one thing. And then we could always filter out outside once we're able to establish ourselves, if, if that ever happens. But from the transition phase, it was just a lot of like questions about ourselves. Like, how are we able to, how, who are our clients? Why do they want to choose us? What are the problems that we're solving that they want to fork over $369 a month in order to become a client or to become a member of Penji? And and then there's other questions like, well, how do we get them to refer us business? I mean, these are all elementary type of questions that we didn't even have software at the time. We were literally <laughs> doing this using Trello oh. for, for months, for months, almost a, uh, I'd say, yeah, several months that we, we were using that. And then we got the smarts and we we're like, you know what? I think we need to have our own proprietary platform that allows us to communicate with our clients. So that way it's easier for them to to work because that's kind of like the whole at at the core. That's what we want to do is we want to help those who help others. And by doing that, we need to be able to, to minimize the processes because we were an agency before. And so we've realized and figured out all the inefficiencies in graphic design. And it comes down to the communication between you and your team and the customer. There's people that are listening right now. I'm sure that if you're an agency in an agency that if you don't have any type of platform, you're probably going back and forth through email close to five to 10 times in order to be like, no, you dummy move the font up like (laughs) two spaces. Like it's not that hard or change it to this color. And you have to like go back and forth because you may not know that the color that you want I mean, just because you have the color in your head doesn't mean it's going to look good. And then when they change it, you're like, you have to go back and revert back to email four, whatever that is. Well, you know, the process of what I'm talking about, um, that sucks, dude. So (laughs) if we were to just, if we were to just minimize that and just completely eliminate it, what more can you do for your business? Right. You could focus on sales. If you're the co-founder of the company, you can focus on talking to your customers more. You can stop doing graphic design and and maybe do your actual job, which is probably not graphic design because a large majority of people are hired nowadays to do graphic design, but then 8,000 other hats that have, they have to wear as well. Yep. So we're a low cost, we're a, a fast and, and I think rather simple solution. And the fact that we're affordable, I, I'd say we're a home run to a lot of businesses that, that, that want graphic design, but just don't necessarily know how to start. And are the vast majority of customers when you came out of the gate, were they, were they small startups themselves or were they? Oh, we took anybody, man. If you had a pulse in the beginning, <laughs> we were just like, come on down. Um, but I would say when we first started, we thought that startups were going to be the, the, the best because like we're a low cost option and we were like, they could afford us. But, and that's still true to this day, but 
what we realized upon growing is we have different, we have different customer profiles and we didn't realize that until we started to talk to them. And so to this day, a thousand customers and all, we are still talking to every single one of our customers that walks in our, uh, walks through our virtual door. We just have a quick conversation or an email or exchange or some type of exchange where we're just saying like, Hey, thank you. One, two, uh, why did you choose us? And what, what, are, what are your expectations? And so that brief interaction allows us the ability to just further understand who it is that we're talking to. And then not to mention, it also helps us with our future uh, customers because now we know how to acquire them. Or how did you come through us? Oh, I found you on a podcast. Okay, cool. Let's do a thousand more podcasts this month. Or uh, I found you through Facebook ads. Okay, great. It's working. Obviously, there's measures for that too, but you know, let's let's raise ten thousand dollars more than what we did last month because we're seeing a ton of results from this particular ad. So it's just really it started off with just throwing whatever it is at the fan, but then now is really about fine tuning the message, looking at the data, and then making decisions off of that data. And did, all right, and so did you see? So you get the first hundred customers, right? You go through this. We'll talk to anybody who comes to the door. Now we. You really focus on staying in touch, which is admirable. Totally understand why we would do that. When you started to go from 100 to 500, 600, 700 customers, what things did you realize had to change, right? Because it doesn't sound like you've given up on the talking to people. We want to stay on the pulse of, of why people choose us and, and what their expectations are. That makes sense. But what things internally did you notice you had to evolve yourselves in order to scale from that zero to a hundred to 600 and so on. One of the hardest things is when you're a co-founder of a company, or if you're somebody that is in a business that's doing a, the, a lot of the processes themselves, it's ridiculously hard to educate other people to do it just as good, if not better than you. So I think the hardest thing that we realize is just documenting the process in a clear and cohesive matter that if somebody were to get a, a guide or like a, a, a rule book as to how you were able to do it, they'd be able to pick up without really talking to that individual and have a better understanding of what to do. That was, that was extremely difficult to, to understand because everybody has their own little processes, their own process and swagger about them. And just being able to, to formulate that, with somebody else that may not have that same type of swagger that you do, it leaves, it doesn't, it's like McDonald's, right? Like you have to be able to McDonaldize your, <laughs> your service. It sounds crazy, right? But like, I mean, you don't go to McDonald's in order to get a quality burger. Go there because, <laughs> sorry if McDonald's, if you're listening, it's, it's true though. But like you're going there because you know, it's reliable and you know that it, what, what you order, what you see is what you get. And you're going to have a process. Like they're not going to mess up on your, on your order. Very rarely does it happen. It's because they have a clear process and procedure that they, that they use that in a system that not one person is going to have a different experience than the other. And so doing that with graphic design, I mean, you're talking about something that blends science and art that, that even, even graphic designers that I've worked with, you can like, if I've worked with three, right? If I have three on the team and we're working with them and I give them the same, here, this is what we need like tackle this logo or tackle whatever it may be. They're all going to come back with slightly different variations because their personality comes through in that. So how do you balance as you scale 
that consistency of delivery and quality with the natural unpredictableness of the creative element. Yeah. I would just say it's more so like an, uh, an eager and a willingness to get it right. I think there has to be a level of empathy. I've used the word empathy at the, uh, uh, during the conversation before we started recording, but I think you really have to understand that you're not going to get it right. I think we have a pretty emphasis with our graphic designers and we tell them that, Hey, you're never going to get fired by creating something that isn't good. Like, so be adventurous, be creative, but in order to, to deliver, I guess, a level of quality, I think it's just a matter of the technology for us, it's a part of technology and just part of really understanding the person. So we have measures in place that allow us to do that. We have brand libraries where we can get a, at a quick glance, understand who the person is that we're talking to and deliver something that's very specific for them. And if we're not right, I, I, I think the technology, again, going a step further in that, that point and click allows us the ability to just understand with one touch of a mouse where it is that we got wrong, but then delivery too. So it, it's, a, it's a combination of a lot of things, but I can tell you in sheer confidence that a large majority of the customers that cancel or that leave Penji isn't necessarily because they've had a bad experience. And it, it, more often than not, it doesn't come from quality. Quality, usually people can understand. It's just, are you listening and are you communicating in a way that, that they want to work with you further? Because like if you worked with somebody and you're like, and you don't like the person, your, your temper is probably going to be a little bit short fused. <laughs> like if you hate the person, you're like, you know what, this, this guy or gal, like the, I don't like this, their vibe is bad. Like I don't, I don't like what they're producing. Like you're automatically going to hate whatever it is that they come up with. But if they're nice and they're a little bit understanding and they want to under, they're a little curious to, to learn more about who you are. I think the, your level of frustration might diminish a little bit more. And that goes for our business and any business. If you're just a cool person and you want to understand them, like why wouldn't they give you a, a second or third try? Yeah, it's a journey, right? It's not a one yeah. and done. It's a one and done. If it's one and done, then then McDonald's is fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, some people want McDonald's and that's yeah. totally cool, you know, but there's some other people who who don't want to trash their body and that's fine too. <laughs> no judgment. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And so as you do this, as you scale, you said you're up to 50 people now. What from a people perspective, hiring, um, building that culture, what were some of the challenges you ran into there as you went from, you know, a couple of people with a happy accident to, to now 50 plus people on the payroll? Yeah. Um, I would say it's just, we'll look, we'll look at it this way. I think, Every person that come, we get a, uh, close to five ish to 10 inquiries a day, just people asking for, uh, graphic design jobs. And we're not able to work with everybody, but I, we're not able to hire everybody, but I can say that we're, we have a, a philosophy where we're always hiring. And a lot of things that we do for our, uh, locally is that we work really close with our community and being that you know, you have a tie to the region. Uh, Camden, New Jersey is a predominantly, let's just say underserved community, uh, very neglected and the people are neglected as well. So we've partnered with organizations. One in particular is HopeWorks where we, uh, where they train the youth of, uh, of Camden for 
potential tech jobs. So they provide education. They take these kids that maybe they're off the street. Maybe they don't necessarily have the right upbringing or the resources that maybe you and I had when we were growing up. I don't know your full story, but I know for me, like I had growing up. And then, so when they go through their process, they are then graduates of the program and then they're looking for jobs and we're happy to be a partner of the, with their organization. So they kind of prime these individuals to just walk in and, and be able to, to work with us. That was probably one of the best things that's that, that could have happened to us is being more community conscious. And we do that in several ways outside of hiring people from Camden. But it's just a really good way to be able to give back to our community. It's a really good way to be able to provide opportunities to kids who deserve a chance, but may be overlooked by just a lot of outside external things. That was probably one of the key factors when it comes to just growing the company is, is using our local community as a, as, a, as a crutch and a resource. Well, I mean, it keeps you connected to the human element, right? So we see... absolutely. We see a lot of organizations today attempt to scale and like, Hey, I'm going to throw this technology in here, this technology in here. Okay. Now I've got an HR system that, that, you know, does character recognition on the, on the resumes that come in and it does some equation somewhere and so now they don't hit the mark and you, you're missing the potential in what some of these people can bring to the organization from a diversity standpoint, from a creativity innovation standpoint. And so you, it sounds to me like you really have fought to stay connected to that human element, not only with the community, connection, but also in the way that you hire or the way that you, that you go to market. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. I actually thought about a similar idea late last night. Cause what, what else am I going to think about late at night? <laughs> um, but I was thinking to myself, like we're, I was, I was uh, thinking about our sales tactics and, and I was just like, okay, well, if we, if we send a thousand, I'm just gonna use round numbers. If we send a thousand emails, right. And we get, I don't know, let's just say a 1% response rate. And then of that, we get another 1% of people who actually become a customer. I'm, I'm, again, I'm just using round numbers. Those aren't facts. Right. Are we sending these emails in a way where we're just like sending cold emails to people because it's a script? What if we were to send a hundred emails and we make those emails the best damn emails on the planet that are so specific that it like speaks to the person where they would be foolish to not respond. And I think that a lot of companies, like the reason I'm bringing that story is because like a lot of people are trying to scale without truly understanding their business. And they want to be able to put things in place because they feel like it's the right thing to do. And not all businesses that are like, are like that. Like sometimes you just can't become like an Uber the way that Uber has become Uber. Right. Um, and that's okay. Cause you're not Uber. So for us, we're really trying to think of like, all right, if we, if we, send a hundred emails into the best damn emails in the world. What is our six? I think our success rate is going to be a little bit higher because of how specific we are to that person. We're talking to that person. It's yeah. It's not a master, not a number. It is the actual connection. It's that H to H element that is actually sounds like part of what differentiates even your, your business offering. So it would make sense that, that the experience that sales experience or marketing experience that an individual has with Penji from first touch is as personalized is as uh, focused on that human being rather than some cadence that was created and scaled and it just swapped out their name, name of the company and you know, something else. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's much more powerful. I mean, it's a much more powerful approach and it's, it's interesting. It's almost a revolt. Um, if you think about, you know, the MarTech 
<laughs> they call it the MarTech 5000. Don't get me started. There's like almost 7,000 companies in there. It's a bad market. Mm-hmm. But you got the MarTech 5000, which are all of these technologies that are largely focused on how do I scale and still attempt to maintain personalization. And the vast majority of them, uh, let's just say struggle, if not outright fail, because there is something in that human to human experience that is not uh, does not lend itself to scale. So now I'm curious as you get to a thousand customers and what is the go to market strategy? Are you guys structured where it's a team of, you know, are you using direct field sales people that go out and carry the message? Is it marketing individuals? What's that go to market look like for you guys? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more so along the lines of advertisements, SEO, if anybody that's listening and they believe that SEO is dead, uh, I would strongly disagree. I think SEO is a very strong element. I think it's any way that you can get your, your message out there, uh, creatively, I think is incredibly important. So we bring as many people as we can to the website as possible. Then we use advertising retargeting techniques in order to lure them through a sales funnel. Sales funnels can be in the form of like a demo. It could be in the form of like um, an ebook. It could be in the form of just like, hey, you know, discount, like buy our stuff, whatever it may be. That's definitely one one angle of it. We also have people that are trying to stir up interests. People who send emails and say, hey, um, Penji, this is what we do and this is how we do it. Do you need it? Yes or no? We're willing to work with you uh, any way that we can. We also have a lot of really great partners. And so we work locally a lot. And, and I think this is something that I think has allowed us to get notoriety locally is what we do for the community. So I already mentioned one portion of it, but we also have another element called Penji Unlimited where we offer close to 25 nonprofits uh, a year, our services for $1 a month. And they can use us as often as they want. They get the whole year for that $1 per month. And I think that's something that's really cool because a lot of businesses, a lot of nonprofits, they need it more so than anybody else, but they just don't have the resources to do it or the money. And so that approach, that ability to constantly give back to our community has allowed us opportunities to get in publications. It's allowed us opportunities to get in like probably meetings that we didn't, that we probably don't deserve to be in just because, (laughs) um, but yeah, I, I just think, but it's like, it's not something that we're doing just because of those things. It's something that we genuinely believe in. Like we have a, a culture where we want to, uh, one of our mottos is that we want to help those who help others. And that goes beyond just saying it. We want to practice it. We want to do it. We want to live it. Live it. <laughs> exactly. We want to live it. Absolutely. Okay. And so what, you know, you've gone through this, this scale to, you know, thousand customers plus and you've got tight community ties. What about the next horizon? What's the next scale challenge that you see for Penji? The next scale challenge, I would say it's just like not being stagnant because like as you're scaling, there is going to become like, like what has got you to a thousand is going to get you to 10. And I think, or like even two or even five, whatever it may be. And I think, you know, just not leaving your foot off of the, off of the trigger or your foot off the gas pedal or your finger on the trigger. I think that's probably the, going to be the hardest thing. I think it's, it's not necessarily a physical doing. It's more so like a mental doing because like when you see, especially as a founder, when you see revenue coming in and you're like, Oh yeah, you know, we're good. You know, this is awesome. This is cool. But is it cool 
to the extent of like where you want to grow the company cool or is it just cool for right now? Right. And so <laughs> we're constantly like trying to find ways to fix it. Even if we know it doesn't need to be fixed, we're just constantly just putting ourselves in these situations where we're like, all right, we got we to gotta switch it up. Even if it's just like a word in an email or like a craft uh, an email or a, a word in, a, in an advertisement, I, I think just constantly changing is just really strong. Well, I mean, change is the, change is the new normal, right? I mean, yeah. People have to continually evolve. It's what gives organizations that are scaling up now a little bit of a jumpstart on organizations that are massive and global. And it's like, you know, a gnat moving an aircraft carrier. The, mm. the speed at which innovation and change is happening, the way that it's become the DNA of the business world in, the, in which we live in requires a level of flexibility, response and connection. I believe human connection that is yeah. difficult for some of the organizational structures that have existed for the last, you know, call them 10, 5, 10, 15 years or, or older to pull off. The challenge I think for organizations like Penji is how do I do that at scale as I continue to go through it? I love not taking your foot off the gas. That's I, I can see complacency and status quo being a challenge for anybody. But how do you maintain human connection and that community involvement? Because soon your community won't just be Camden. I mean, your community becomes maybe Jersey or the Eastern Seaboard or, you know, the community becomes more global. And that I think is going to present some interesting challenges, which I'll be, I look forward to seeing you guys tackle and wrestle to the ground. Yeah, I can see that too. And I have a good understanding of like how I think something that we're constantly doing outside of more of like a global audience is more so like constantly providing the education that we want to uphold here, like locally. So we've started doing like webinars and things like that. We started doing educational series. We're constantly connecting with our partners in order to create joint content. I think that is, is, is really powerful stuff that I think can affect on a global scale at the level of like an envision, you know, or like at the level of a, like a hub spot. Right. I think those two companies in particular, we all know them well, but I think those two companies in particular do a great job building a community that's way beyond their locations. I think, well, I know Boston is in, uh, excuse me, uh, HubSpot's in Boston. I don't know where Envision is located, but I'm sure they have local ties to wherever they're geographically located. But they're, they also have that global scale that you hear the name you know that they're producing really good content that that is going to give you a lot of um, of a lot of value from it. So it definitely is something that I know I've personally thought about. I don't know the exact solution just yet, but it is something that we're aware of. Well, and that community—I mean, that community HubSpot's a great example, right? Because the community creates the sense that we're not alone, right? Like no yeah, matter no matter what we're going through, whatever it may be on the business side, or, I mean, I like HubSpot because they're, they, you know, they dip their fingers. Uh, they kind of went in the marketing space. Now they're on the sales side. And, and yeah, anybody who listens to the podcast probably knows that I, I use HubSpot sales <laughs> because I can't stand Salesforce. Anyway. Um, so there's a, there's a part of that, at, no matter what you're going through, that there's content there that shows someone else has been there or someone else thought of it slightly differently. And if you embrace that community, I think that's, an extremely powerful exchange of ideas as well as, um, you know, jet fuel for the business, not only HubSpots, but for anybody who, 
who, you know, fills the tanks with that type of content, that type of support, that type of effort that's put out there by HubSpot can amplify your own if you're willing to, to embrace it and, and to understand that nobody has all the answers. Mm -hmm. But if you work with the right community, you'll get a lot of great perspectives, uh, that will make things possible you didn't believe were possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's also a, a conversation that you need to have too within yourself. Like some people just aren't good at building communities. Like we can, we can say that we, that we are good at building things and creating things, but you also have to be able to understand that like, that's why you have team members that can probably do it better than you. And, and you have to be able to trust them in order to do it. Like I'm not built in order to, to grow, to grow like a substantial community. Like that's just not who my, that's not my personality. Like I'm really good at building things. I'm really good at processes and procedures. I'm really good at storytelling. I'm really good at like selling, but like, I'm not going to be the person that's going to, to, to grow the community at the scale that we want. That's just, I need to be honest with myself, but that's why we, (laughs) that's why we hire. That's why we have team members that are way better at that. And so like if whatever it is, I guess the lesson to learn here is, is that if you know that you need to do X then, and you're not good at it, then why not try to find somebody who, who is that? Well, and I think that's a realization that, that is extremely powerful and extremely insightful. But I think some founders struggle with that because oh, it's ego, dude. It's all it, ego. It's, yeah, it's, you know, don't, Hey, wait a minute. Don't tell me my baby's ugly, right? Like, mm-hmm. like this is mine. I should be able to do this. But the fact of the matter is w- nobody, I mean, even look. You can talk Tesla if you want. Even Elon smoked a joint on Joe Rogan's. <laughs> I'm not saying he's the best PR person in the world for himself. He'll, he'll own that he's not a business guy, right? So we all, I think, have our strengths and, and weaknesses that we need to be honest with ourselves about. And I think that level of honesty is becoming more critical in business today than ever before. It's part of the reason I see some of the challenges that we see in some of the organizations. So it's refreshing to hear that you guys are doing that level of introspection, not just to sit around and do the level of introspection because those that listen to the podcast will know I'm not particularly touchy-feely, but (laughs) to do it, to apply it to the individuals and the community and the teams uh, and the business, I think think there's a great deal of power uh, to be had there. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Honesty is really important. Ego is really important too. We all have an ego. I do believe that us in particular, we're able to put it to the side and just understand like, what is the goal? We're still a small team. Like I I don't, we operate as a small team and I don't, I will always operate as such. We're very close in the office, very, very close. And that's maybe to a fault to me some may agree with that. And I think it's a personal strength. So I think being able to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, here's the things that I'm good at. I need to know what I'm good at and I can get better at a couple of things, or I can focus a hundred percent of my energy on what got us here and what I think is going to get us there in the future. Yeah. It's just honesty. Look at yourself in the mirror a little bit more often, not in a vain way, but just like (laughs) just a conversational way within yourself. Yep. All right. So let's change the direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as a co-founder and a CMO, that makes you a prospect. And yeah. so I'm always curious to understand when somebody doesn't have 
uh, relationship. They don't have a, a um, referral into you, but they feel like there is something that they can bring to Penji that, that would be valuable. For you, what do you find the most effective for individuals to be able to capture your attention and earn that right to 15 or 20 or 30 minutes on your calendar? Yeah, I think that is an awesome question, and I might actually steal this question. Uh, (laughs) No, it's really good because, like, God, I don't remember exactly how many people you've emailed on or uh, you've you've interviewed on your your podcast, but I'd love to be able to listen to that question for every single one of your guests and find out. I'm putting, I'm working on putting it in a differently digestible format, but yeah, I get, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting when you look at them all across the hundred and some odd plus interviews we've done. I think the answer, the question, I would probably say, even though that we just talked about ego, I think you have to find a way to stroke the ego a little bit. I get about, Again, I'm not, I don't want to make this as me bragging, but I, I want to say that I get about like five-ish messages a day on LinkedIn. And it's just like random people being like, hello, Jonathan, I see that you you work for, insert company. Uh, we we do X, Y, Z. And I'm just like, man, come on. Like, I, I think that if if, if I'm going to grab 15 minutes of, uh, if, I, if I'm going to put my time on somebody's schedule, I would say, they would have to send me an email about something that I like outside of work. Like, yo man, I saw that, uh, Daniel Bryan and Kofi Kingston fought it on Monday night raw last night. Like that was awesome. What do you think of the match? Or like, Hey, uh, Tobias Harris can't hit water if he fell out of a boat because he's <laughs> from, from the three point line. Uh-huh. Um, I think that's probably going to stir up a conversation a little bit faster than, than that of the, you selling your service. Uh, the human element, the human element, pay yeah. attention, right? I mean, the, the beauty of these podcasts is anybody, and this is what I tell our clients. I'm like, you guys tell me you can't get information on people. If you listen to the podcast, just podcast alone, that's just one, not even mine. Just listen to what people share. Like who in the hell would have found from your LinkedIn profile? And I don't know. I haven't looked. Maybe it's there that you're a WWE fan. Or, yeah. or a wine fit. Like that's an easy, if you can share that passion, right? Or in my case, I'd have to come at you and be like, yeah, don't do wine, but love Jack. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a good comment. Like even, or even if you were to like combat, I think it's another thing too. like disagree with the person. I think that's pretty powerful. Like, Hey man, uh, wine sucks. Jack's better. Here's why. <laughs> and I'd be like, I would totally comment on that. I would be like, no, you're wrong. And here's why I'm right. <laughs> so it becomes, it becomes a debate and then yeah. understanding of two individuals. And that's a great, exactly. Powerful thing. exactly. Perfect. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing or professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened, there's the caveat. If they listened, you believe would help them hit their targets, crush their quotas or achieve their goals. What would it be and why? I would say find a way in and doing whatever it takes in order to get in. And that might be like offering your services at a, like free or discounted. I saw somebody posted a, a similar question on, um, on Facebook today. I don't really use Facebook that often, but it was like, you have 30 days to make $5,000 or you die. how do you do it? And well, that's kind of awesome. yeah, it is. But I was like, I was like, dang, I was like, I, it did get me thinking. I was like, you know what? Here's what I would do. I would like, I think if if there's a sales professional that's not necessarily hitting their mark, I would find a way to like refer the person business, make introductions to somebody that they think is going to be valuable, 
do a little bit of research about what their favorite things are. Again, just like that human element. I know we brought up like 4,000 times in this conversation, <laughs> but I think it's just the power, the most powerful thing to treat another human, like another human. I think a lot of times salespeople in particular, just look at prospects as just like a number and they're not looking at it in the sense of like, of like who the person actually is. So yeah, I mean, that's just, that's the key. Like if you, I don't know. We we talked about it the whole the whole conversation. I'm sure if you listen back to this whole thing, you get the you get the sense of what we're trying to talk about. But just talk to somebody like you want to talk to them, and I think the selling will come naturally without you you even trying. I, I feel oh, here you go. I, here's, here, I'm trying to like I'm talking and I'm trying to think about the answer as well. Um, <laughs> so I do apologize. <laughs> be human. Be real. Yeah. Be human, be real and treat people the way you want to be treated. I mean, it's, it's, there's not, you know, there's no rocket science. There's no silver bullets. That's what people have a tendency to be looking for. I think today, what is the silver bullet? There isn't one. Just be human. Right. And I think people yeah. have a tendency to, to forget that. And yes, we, we beat that drum uh, throughout the entire interview, but it is, it's an important message, I think, for the audience today. So J- Jonathan, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show. It has been amazing. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, uh, learn more about Penji, what's the easiest way to do that the best way is just to go to penji.co and it's p-e-n-j-i.co most likely will be in the show notes um (laughs) but but just penji.co if you have any if you like what it is that i in particular say if you think that i'm relatively interesting you're going to be able to meet a ton of other people who are way more cooler and, and more interesting than i am and we're a company that genuinely cares and we want to be able to earn your business, whatever it takes. So if you need any form of graphic design, we'd love for you to check out Penji at Penji.co. Excellent. Thank you very much, man. Again, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you, Chad. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share with friends, family, coworkers. Drop us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.